Hey, what's up, everybody? This is The Greatest Show on Dirt coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studios. I'm your host, Quentin. And on today's episode, it's episode number two of our listener series. I've got Mike Pasco on today's podcast. Mike is such a sweetheart of a guy. It was a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. We talk old school baseball, nostalgia, family, and it was a good one, you know? And if you want to be on the podcast, you can, right? So the listener series, I'm just going to have it go on for really as long as I want. Uh, shoot me an email, greatestshowondirt at gmail.com. I've had a lot of people email. I'm working on probably about five or six episodes down the pipeline that I'm scheduling, and that's what Mike did. He just shot me an email, and we talked baseball, you know? And it was fun because... I love to hear people's other baseball stories, you know, their relationship with baseball when it comes to really just loving the sport, favorite teams, family, and things like that. So let me know if you want to be on the podcast, but otherwise, let's get to the show. Me and Mike talking some baseball, and thank you for listening. Yeah, yeah, man. There's no professionalism in this podcast whatsoever, man. I've got all I've got wires on my desk. I know. I don't even know if they're plugged into the right spots, but I know we're recording. So, Mike, what's up, man? How are you? Hey, I'm doing just fine here in Colorado, man. How are you doing, dude? I wish I was in Colorado, man. I feel like you know I've never been. The only place I've been out west is San San Francisco, San Jose. My wife went on a work trip. She works for Bank of America, and she took me out there a okay. couple summers ago. When we went to an Oakland A's game, but that whole Colorado region I haven't been to, and I would love to head out yeah. that way, catch a Rockies game. I don't ski. Do you ski? I just am getting to learn. My five and seven year old daughters can ski better than I can right now, Dude. but that's okay. I can smoke. I can smoke them on a snowboard, but I have got to get my ski legs worked on for sure. Dude, that's what's up. Yeah, I've we had a couple places. So I'm from Southern Illinois, and there was a place in Indiana right. and a place in St. Louis that had like the fake snow, which was still fun for me. <laughs> and I skate. I would skateboard growing up, so I thought that would transfer to the slopes, and it did not. Mm. So I'm basically like a crash test dummy for skiing, like to the point where the people that work there are like, hey, man, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, just get away from me. You know, it's, I just don't have a Give lot of coordination when it comes to that. But listen, Mike, I appreciate you having you. Now, if you're listening to the podcast, I we've started having yep. we, I say we, but me, listen, man, I can't thank you enough <laughs> for taking time to be on this podcast because um, It started with like the comments like back and forth on Instagram that people would have. And there's so much good information out there of other baseball fans. It's like this theme of nostalgia makes people like me and you, I feel like best friends because we have a lot of the same stories. And I was like, I'm just going to have people on the podcast and you're the second person I've had. So you're guinea pig number two. And I'm super excited for it. So thank you for being on the podcast. Uh, We are going to probably, me and you have a bunch of notes (laughs) that we've got. So it's sort of just like- Thanks for putting all this together, by the way. But listen, Mike, so you have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. That's right. Correct? Dude, they got to be keeping you busy, man. Let me ask you this. It's So I have a 15-month-old daughter right now, and I know a lot of people that listen to the show have kids. And for me – I baseball, I looked at baseball differently the second I had my kid, but also a lot of my baseball memories growing up have sort of helped me, I think, to become a better father. Like when I started, when my podcast went this really like heavy nostalgic direction, at first I was sort of like, is this the right thing to do? Like, is this me living in the past? Like I just, I didn't, you know, because like, so my relationship with baseball was always like, I quit 
pretty early on because my dad was my coach. So when I would always yep. go back to a lot of those nostalgic thoughts, I didn't like it. So I would never uh, really, you know, it took me forever to sort of come back to baseball like this. And it really started when I got married and that was in 2016. So I was like, you know, and then, you know, I got older and instead of looking at it as like, oh, you know, all of the things I did wrong and what I missed, baseball sort of turned into not just a sport, but sort of this learning experience. Did you have an experience like that when your daughters were born, you know, as you built your family? Did baseball and, you know, and all the nostalgia that comes with it, did it sort of change how you parented possibly or just change your life in general? Yeah, I'm going to roll it back to marriage because that that for me is like the most important relationship for sure. Mm -hmm. And it's you're right, you're right. There's something powerful in that bond that we have. And it's almost like you want to share in something with your spouse. And so mm -hmm. got married, uh, I mean, you know, in the dating years too, it's like, I'm about baseball. I've got these baseball jerseys in my closet. Mm -hmm. I know you hate it when I put them on. You think I look goofy, <laughs> but hey, I think they look good. I think I, think I look good. I bet and you look great, man. That's game. awesome. So that was really where, that's definitely one of my pieces there is, you know, connecting with my wife because we're just, she's very much experiential. She's got me sold on that. So we just share what we love to do together. And so now, man, we are like 10 stadiums deep into no going to every baseball stadium in the country because we have opportunities with work. And just in life, we're very fortunate to be able mm -hmm. to travel the country. It's like, wait a minute, we're going to be here. We're going to be there. Minnesota, the twins, like, let's go check out Target Field. So, yes, you're right. There is something about sharing just things that we love with people that we love. And then so with the kids being born, Absolutely, man. I, I feel like it's a little bit stronger with my wife right now, but we're getting the kids involved. We're taking them to several games this year. And man, I've got a, a seven-year-old is so academic and so uh, patient. She can sit down and tear through a, like a, a book, like a 50-page chapter book. She's great. So we'll go to the baseball game. It's like, wait a minute. I'm going to try something with her. I'm going to try old school hand scoring. You remember that yeah, style spiral bound book and you got all the squares and I mean, it's crazy. You don't really realize how screwy of a game baseball is until you try to explain it to your <laughs> wife or your daughter. And it's yeah. like, okay, four balls is a walk. Okay, well, and they, the kids are great. Kids keep you sharp, yeah. and they ask all the questions. It's amazing. So, yeah, definitely have had a lot of uh, unpacking and bringing out the, the good times, the memories, the nostalgia, and really, like, fortunate now that it's like I'm reflecting, and I'm actually aware in the moment, like, this is, we're bonding right now. Like, this is great. Um, I hear a lot of that come out in a lot of your episodes when you're talking about your daughter. So, man, it's great. We've got a sweet gig going on. I just hope we don't mess it up too bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's the truth, man. That's one of the things about being a parent. Like, I'm obviously very young in this whole situation. She's going to be 16 months old in about six days. And my biggest fear is doing yeah. something wrong. And I sort of, you know, where baseball even tied in for me because, you know, she's she she'll drag a baseball bat around the living room under heavy direct supervision because if we break a <laughs> lamp, my wife's gonna slaughter us both. But I was like, yeah. I think one of the things that's most important is, you know, like when we talk about like, hey man, are we gonna screw this up? We wanna be good parents. And I think a lot of it is just being present. You know, like when we like when yeah. I think about my dad growing up. I don't know if things were perfect or not, but I know he was always there and made the best of everything. And so was my mom. You know, if my dad was working late, my mom's in the backyard throwing me batting practice. And like yeah. one time she hit me a couple times. So I acted like I was going to charge the mound on her. 
And that's a memory oh, that nice. I just remember, dude. And But that's awesome that you said about you and your wife going to games. My wife and I, we went to uh, – she's sort of the same way. So she grew up on Long Island, so she's a Yankees fan. But the Heck second yeah. we started Go dating, she, you know, the Cubs were making a run in 2015. <laughs> and, yeah. it w- and she was all on board with it. She's got Cubs shirts and Cubs hats. And, like, I remember watching the 2015 wild card game with her, and she's just like – I think it's a testament to just how great our wives are, you know, because it's so funny that you were like, your wife says you look like a big dummy in your jerseys. And my wife said the same thing. She's like, you always got to wear a hat everywhere you go. And I'm like, yeah, I'm on the team, (laughs) man. Let's go. It's the best, dude. But I mean, yeah, yeah. I like that showing up piece. That's that's all we need to do is just to show up. And so I have the same, I just have to throw this in because you mention it all the time. Like our dads, my dad, same thing. He, has more like a, of an office job situation. And I remember he'd come home and I would be waiting for him to come home because it's springtime, it's warming up, it's time to get some toss in. I was like, hey, let's go in the backyard. And he always did it. He never said no. And it was like, okay, I got it. He had to like run upstairs and get out of his necktie <laughs> real quick. But that's awesome. And so that definitely informs and influences what I do with my kids and how we show up and yeah, it's, it's great, man. I really like it when you mention those times because it makes me think of my times with my dad. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's like, it's the thing about never saying no. Like when my daughter was in the early stages of like, you're trying to put her to sleep. So you got to go in her room and you're holding her forever. And this sounds crazy, but like my back would hurt and my feet were hurt. Oh yeah. (laughs) And I sort of saw that as like a challenge to myself. I was like, listen, like my parents would do this for me. And so I'm going to do it for my kid. And it's sort of, it sounds like the craziest thing, but it's sort of powered me through because it's been this vehicle to remember, I guess, like, you know, the values in life that really count, like nostalgia. I research. I had never like really researched like the meaning of nostalgia. And like a few days ago, I read a couple articles on it. And apparently nostalgia was one of the first times it was, the term was coined was like, during some war because soldiers would go off to fight and they would miss home and nostalgia was looked at as this negative you know it was like this because it because sometimes nostalgia it sort of hurts it feels painful because it's this intense longing to be somewhere where you were but you can't get it back anymore but some i I don't know when it was but some researchers had actually researched it a little further and one of the things they said in their research was that bait that nostalgia helps to give us roots and so that's why i like this experience of you know meeting people through the podcast and having this conversation with you and to be able to talk about you know the roots that our nostalgia has given us and you know only like 0.01 percent of people get to actually play major league baseball but I oh, think yeah. the real benefit of the sport is, you know, where me and you are, you know, we might not be as rich as those guys, but I think, you know, money doesn't really do anything for anybody other than give them, you know, more money problems or something like that. But to be able to give us roots, you know, I think it's a pretty important thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's like identity formation for sure. So that's, that's how I identified myself for a long time. Like I am, a fan of baseball. I'm all about baseball. I've got a huge baseball card collection. And yeah, I think that's, that's very interesting. It's really fascinating to study words and concepts and see how they morph over time. I wonder mm-hmm. if you did a study right now and you surveyed people about what's your feelings on nostalgia? Like, is it good? Is it bad? I wonder, yeah, how that's changed over time for sure. I think nostalgia is sort of getting like 
like making a comeback because you were born in 82. <laughs> I was born in 83 and our generation yeah. now we're like coming of age. We've got more money to spend. Like even the card hobby right now is at a yeah. big jump right now where people are online selling PSA yeah. nine and 10 cards that probably weren't worth 10 <laughs> bucks, you know, three years ago. And all of a sudden, you know, when they had that Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire documentary on ESPN last summer, their rookie cards were yep. selling for hundreds of dollars on eBay. And there are so many, com <laughs> I mean, heck, I guess me and you talking on this podcast is sort of an example of it. But I go. think part of it is like, I'm so thrilled to have this conversation with you because when you graduate college, you get your job and you get a family, like sometimes like it's hard to just meet friends, you know, and I feel so much yep. love when I'm talking baseball. Buck O'Neill said it in the Ken Burns <laughs> document documentary where he yeah. said like he's he goes something along the lines of I'm 81 years old. But when I get to talk in baseball, I feel 18 and it just sort of takes him back to all these good moments and it sort of you know, increases the joy of the current moment. And I think that that's what, you know, this nostalgia has yeah. been is, you know, you're out in Colorado. I'm out in North Carolina. We're like a nearly very opposite ends of the country, but we have all these same yeah. stories. I've never talked to you on the phone and here we are. And I'm just, I'm so thankful to be having the conversation, but it's just yeah, fun man. to do. It's really fun. Yeah. You're in my mind. You're posting these pictures of these batting gloves, these bats, like all these things like, man, I had those. I saw those. I didn't have one, but my buddy had the black magic and man, I really wish I had I the know. black magic. And it's good. It's a good, it's a good, yeah. Cross, uh, it's like cross time, cross distance connection. It's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. But I've also spent so much money on eBay. <laughs> It's just because oh, you can get all this stuff on there. Like I'm trying to, so I never had a black magic growing up. I had like an Easton power core for like little league, but it wasn't the black magic model. So I'm, I literally every single day I search eBay Easton black magic baseball bat. Nothing's come up yet. That's been really good. So I'm just like, oh, I'm to the point now where I'm so invested. If some dummy posts one for $200, I'm going to be the dummy to buy it because I just don't care anymore. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious! So someone's gonna hear this, and they're they're gonna find one, and they're gonna they'll drop you a line. I'm sure they are for <laughs> sure. You know, it's like all right, I'm gonna get this sucker right now. Let's just get this sold. But listen, you talked about baseball cards, and we have to talk about baseball cards. I like, I had an older brother growing up, and he was he was born in '79, so he mm. from the earliest age that I can remember. He had a man, binders, big complete box sets. We would go to the card shop. We had this card shop that was far away from the house called Russell's. And we would go there and look at cards. And I just, it's just so interesting how these little pieces of cardboard were just like our currency as kids, you know? Absolutely. Yep. I had the same experience. Had a, had a couple ball card shops in suburb of Denver where I grew up in Westminster. And yeah, there, I, I think they're, they might be gone. I, I have to go double check, but uh, yeah, it was all about going to the, the newsstand, getting the, the most up-to-date Beckett magazine, oh, yeah. checking things out. And yeah, to, it, it was, yeah, there, it definitely kind of represented currency. I only traded cards on one occasion, one sleepover. My best buddy came over and I was more into the Beckett price guides. So uh -huh. I was like, what am I going to do? It was a real ethical dilemma, right? I've got my best buddy. <laughs> And I've got uh -oh. like three 1992 Topps Frank Thomas cards, and he's got his one 1989 Randy Johnson uh, rookie card. And I was like, wait a minute, 
that's the Randy Johnson rookie card. So I had no problem parting away with my extras. You know, fortunately he was a big, a big, big hurt Frank Thomas fan. So it was, I think we both won, but in the moment I was like, wait a minute, like this Frank Thomas card is a quarter of what this Randy Johnson card is worth. So they keep saying on all the other sports card podcasts, like knowledge is power. Information is, is power in the hobby. And yeah, man, it was such a big part of life for sure. I'm actually where I'm talking to you right now. I'm looking at several stacks of baseball cards in my study right now. So yeah, it's kind of, kind of like everywhere. They followed me since age eight or so, and they've just been around me ever since, man. Listen, you took your best friend for a ride for a Randy Johnson rookie card. Which was it a Fleer rookie uh-huh. card? Which card was it? Oh, 89 tops. So I don't know if it's one of the more oh. prime yep. primo. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, it was like five bucks. It might be, I mean, condition is key as well, but yeah, you know, those Expos cards, I don't know what it is. It seems like there's so much phenomenal young talent that comes through, that came through the Expos system, like Larry oh, Walker, yeah. Vlad Guerrero. Like, what is going on? Is it just like, get your start in Canada, and then we'll, there's something in the water? I mean, it's really interesting. <laughs> oh, they were the original Tampa Bay Rays, I feel like. I did <laughs> a, few, right. well, a few, I think maybe last year I did a post on, like the or not a post, but like I talked about the expos on my podcast, and they had guys like Marquise Grissom come through. At one point, they had the best farm go. system in baseball, and I mean they weren't yeah. messing around. They found Larry Walker in a wood bat <laughs> league in Canada because well, I guess what had happened was he wanted to be a hockey goalie, but it wasn't any good, and he got oh, cut yeah. from the team. So he joined like this men's wood bat league, and someone saw him and was like. Yo, he's hitting those balls hard. So they signed him immediately. <laughs> but listen, he was sort of like Pedro Serrano from Major League. He couldn't hit any yeah, breaking yeah. pitches. He didn't even know a curveball existed. Oh. So when he gets to the minors, he's like, what is this? <laughs> oh, nice. But they That's were good, <laughs> man. But, yeah, so I like one of the sets early for me that I liked a lot. So my brother had some 86 tops. He never had the complete set, but he had an mm. Aussie Smith and a Don Mattingly in his binder that I yeah. absolutely love. They look old. They looked expensive. It's like what you said when you were like, oh, the Randy Johnson card was five bucks. Like, that was big money when we were kids. You know, if I mowed a oh, yard, yeah. I would only make 10 bucks. I had a paper route where I made $100 a month when I was like 12. And that <sighs> was big, big <laughs> money. And. Like, I would just look at those cards, and I was like, man, I want those. So the first I could get, I think it was, it was probably right after my wife and I got married in 2016, I ordered the complete box set and a wax box of 86 tops because those just take me back. You can, I mean, there's so many, you can open up, I still open up cards now, and I discover players that I didn't even know that have these phenomenal stories. Like, there's a guy that played for the Blue Jays, Damaso Garcia, who... Mm. was their starting shortstop in like a lot of their prime like early to mid 80s years and he was he was opposite he was at second Tony Fernandez was at short and he was just a mm. dang good second baseman oh man right on yeah there just yeah there's endless stories and i think you're doing a great job bringing some of those players out i mean i can listen to you talk about Dick Allen for for a, a long time and i know you could talk about him for a long time but it, i didn't know about him until you started going running through his story and his background and his, his character, his qualities, like, man, like what, talk about a rich 
sport, such a, uh, you know, rich stories. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't really get much better than that to me. <laughs> That's when people talk about the Hall of Fame. And I think advanced data sort of made it hard for a lot of guys like Dick Allen or Dave Parker to get recognition. Because when you look at their numbers, you know, like Dick Allen's not a 500 home run guy. He's not a high wins above yeah. replacement guy. But the story in itself, like his first minor league assignment was, I think, in Little Rock, Arkansas. And the whole town had a parade that were like, we don't want this black guy in our baseball team. And he proceeded to lead the league in hits and total bases and RBIs. And it was just performing extremely well under pressure, which to me is the yeah. core of like what I believe the game to be, you know, like we, you know, we mentioned our dads, you know, working well under pressure and obviously on a much different level than what a guy like Dick Allen would. But I think that's one of the most beautiful things about baseball in general is just the sacrifice that comes with it. And that's why I like Dick Allen so much because you got a guy where people are telling him, Hey man, like we hate you and we don't think you're a real human and you should leave our town. And he hits better than everybody. It's just, it's just unbelievable. And I would like guys like him and Dave Parker and there's some others off the top of my head that I can't think of. Like, you look at a guy like a Dan Quisenberry as well. Dan Quisenberry was a sweetheart <laughs> of a guy and was such a shutdown closer. And, you yeah. know, when it comes to the Hall of Fame, we keep people out like Bonds and McGuire because we call them liars. And we're like, you've ruined the game, and we don't want you in there. Yeah. But then there are these guys yeah. that have been such great advocates for the game that we just sort of like, eh, your numbers aren't that good, so stick it, you know? Like, Harold Baines gets in the Hall of Fame, and he's getting made fun of everywhere. <laughs> Twitter roasted Harold, Harold Baines. I couldn't imagine. Everyone yeah. was like, Harold Baines, you suck. You should not be a Hall of Famer. And I'm like... Oh, well, the dude, guy played yeah. 25 years and, you know, was a really good player <laughs> and probably a great guy. That's why the Veterans Committee voted him in because they thought he was cool. That's right, man. Yep, it's it's a wild experience. I mean, you, you know, you got the – what was it? There was a – was, he was near unanimously voted in, but, like, one – person one sports writer did not vote was Wait, it Jeter about Derek, it was Derek like, Jeter yeah one writer oh my did vote gosh what I mean just what a what a wild experience but I mean it just is a sign of the times and the makeup of the voters I mean I, it must be different every year right they it might not be the same people and it's not the same time period it's just it's wild to see what's happening with yeah it is for sure. also before I forget there's a game used PSA certified dick allen bat on ebay for sale right now for six thousand dollars and that's not even the most surprising thing about it the measurements on the bat are 36 inches and 42 ounces nice. <laughs> that is oh, a giant man. i always knew he'd use like close to a 40 ounce bat but like 42 <laughs> ounces like are there bats out there what was he swinging a 50 ounce bat in batting practice like the guy had such strong hands and a quick swing he played in an era to where power wasn't even that big of a thing, and he had it. It's just so wild. But listen, I want to know what's your favorite set of cards all time. So you started. You were born in '82, and yep. we've talked. Well, through your notes, you said you remember really sure. getting into it from '88 to '99. So like, I think mine's '86. But what's your yeah. favorite? '89. And I, I really like. Sometimes in other areas of life, it's like, man, how can you have a favorite? That's like saying which is my favorite kid. Like, you can't have a favorite. But actually, when it comes to baseball cards, I just love 89 tops. I love the 89 top set uh, when I was a kid, and I just keep going back to it. And 
when I'm flipping through a stack of cards and I see an 89 tops, I'm, I have to, I like pause for a minute. It's like, a, you know, a moment of reverence. It's like, Ooh, 89 tops. It's just so clean. Uh, it, it's great. And, you know, I do have to also totally make fun of myself and expose myself. It's my favorite card. So of course I made a giant cardboard version of it to stick my head through to be a baseball card for Halloween. That is, but don't, but don't worry. We're not talking last year. We're talking in 1990 or something, but if you got a dude that makes a a car, giant cardboard version of a card, you know, that's his favorite set for sure. So I'm going with 89 tops all the way. Yeah, one, that's the best thing ever. I got an idea the other day where I was going to dress in the Florida Marlins old school unis for this coming up Halloween, get my wife and my daughter on board. But the baseball card thing (laughs) sounds really good. Listen, I thought through my job, I have all the Adobe products. So I have Photoshop and everything. And I want to so bad, I just haven't ever sat down to do it, to, to create like a Photoshop baseball card for my wife my daughter and myself and like make up funny stats on the back. Like for example, my daughter wouldn't have home runs. She would have like fruit thrown against the window. You know what I mean? And I would just start to factor that in (laughs) or like, you know, cups thrown, tantrums thrown, you know, any sort of thing like that, you know, and then on the back of the baseball cards, like one of the things I like about old cards is they always had fun facts on the back. Right. And so I'd obviously have to make up fun facts about them. Like on, you know, March 25th, 2021, uh, Emmy threw a whole slice <laughs> of pizza against the wall and it stuck, you know, something crazy like that. But 89's a great set, man. It's got, like, I love the font on it. And it looks like sort of, I guess, like a Letterman jacket yeah. or something. Like, I, I love the design of it. And then the back yeah. of those cards, like those old tops, they're just sort of like a brownish orange color. And, I mean, they yeah. just look great and they smell so good. Old baseball cards are the best. Yeah, there is something about that smell. Like, that would be a great cologne. I know we should probably not talk any further because we're sitting yeah, shut that on down. a gold mine. But, it's, yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk about that, uh, you know, OD89 tops a little bit later. That's but. what we need. We need a company name. And then, yeah, you know, we'll just market it as, like, do you want to intoxicate? Do you want an intoxicating scent that will send your wife or husband? Because it could be a unisex goal. It doesn't matter. The cologne's for everybody. That's right. We could do 89 tops, 86 tops. I feel like if we want to get real musky, we could get into like some 70 something tops, you know, just really, really Ooh, get like, after it. Yeah. That would happen. I mean, to be your scent is, scent is strongly tied to memory, right? So, I mean, it's like a joke, but really there's some real legs to the concept of you, you know, you get a whiff of something and you're, it's going to send you back somewhere. So yeah, there's some neuroscience behind that and, Hey, we could be onto something. Pump, pump that into your card shop. If you're if you're trying to get people to go to your card shop, get that concentrated smell and pump it out there, and people will come. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. I um, I'm glad you said that. It made me think. Like, I think it was three, two or three years ago. My dad found two of my my first two baseball gloves I ever had, and Ooh, nice. my my parents smoke, and for a while they smoked in the house. And so when I got yeah. the gloves, they smelled like leather and cigarette smoke. And like, I, I don't, I don't smoke. So it's not like I love the scent or crave a cigarette or anything. But like when I got like, my dad always smoked growing up. So he'd drive a Chevy S10 with an overflowed yep. ashtray. He'd take me to my ball games and back. He'd go to the hardware store on a Saturday and I'd ride with him. And I, when I got these gloves, they smelled like leather and stale cigarette smoke. And I loved it. 
I couldn't stop smelling them. And I would smell it and then hold it away from my nose and smell it again. Then when I would get used to it, I would like hold it away for 10 seconds and then smell it again because it, dude, it, it just took me back. And you're right about that. The, like the scents really, um, just do it. Now, do you still, do you collect cards now or do you just have the old ones that you had growing up? You know what I'm doing right now is I'm doing different things with the cards I currently have. So I, um, have definitely crossed over. I, it's really interesting. There's like a collector's gene, right? That people talk about, like there's people out there that want to bring organization to chaos. And so that's at the heart of all the collecting and all the, you know, there's numbers on the back of these things, put them in order, put them in the different sets and everything. So I have really um, bounced around a lot from my youth between baseball cards and stamp collecting. Mm-hmm. So now I'm like, wait a minute, I've got, I've really pushed hard and heavy into stamp collecting. I have inherited my great grandmother's stamp collection and there's just a lot of awesome material in there. And then I was like, wait a minute, this stuff is not just paper. It's actually telling stories about my family members. So I was like, that's really cool. That's got me real interested lately. And I was like, what can I do with baseball cards? And I kind of got a little bit burned out on the stamp, the postage stamp collecting, you know, it's very stereotypical. There's this guy sitting at a table, putting each stamp into the album, trying to fill the spaces. And it got kind of, yeah, uh, watered down for me. So I started to see that what other people were doing is they were collecting envelopes. And in stamp collecting, they're called covers. And so I was like, wait a minute. So you can now make something or you can collect something that has meaning because this stamp is on this envelope from this person to that person on this date. And a lot of times they're commemorating specific events and things like that. And I was like, wait a minute, what's this look like at baseball? So I have a stack of envelopes that were canceled and the cancellation is the little circle that hits the stamp that invalidates the stamp. You can't use it again. Mm -hmm. And it's got the city and it's got the date. Dude, it's Cooperstown, New York. So we all know the significance there. Mm -hmm. And it's my birthday. It's got, it's, it was canceled on my birthday, which as I start to get into the envelope collecting, I felt really screwed because guess what day of the week I was born on? A Sunday. When does the postal service not operate? On a Sunday. So I was like, yeah, look at all these people collecting and making these great uh, pieces of memorabilia, but I can't do it on my birthday. That stinks. So I don't know how or where these envelopes were created, but I came into them. And so what I do is I take my baseball cards of Hall of Fame players who are currently living and I mount them on the envelope, and then upon their passing, I mark that occasion, and I, I, I celebrate and remember the awesome career and life that these individuals had by going to the post office on the day that they pass and have the, the envelope postmarked, and it's one of a kind because I'm not going to go out there and I'm not going to be able to obtain a bunch of Willie Mays and Sandy Colbach cards, like not in this climate, right, when things are going through the roof mm-hmm. with the, the with the wax, right? So it's basically I'm, I'm merging, I'm crossing over, I'm bringing my cards into the philatelic world, which is like the academic term for stamp collecting and envelope collecting. So, man, that's what I've been doing, and I've been chronicling this activity on uh, an Instagram account that I run and it's just been a lot of fun. And so that's the very long explanation for what I'm doing right now. It's not about, can I get all these cards? Can I complete sets? It's like, wait a minute, you know, the, the budget is tight. I've got other things in life right now. I've got this stack of cards and they're in a box, but what can I do? I can put them on an envelope. I can put them out on social media. And I mean, we lost like seven or eight hall of famers in 2020 
And so that was like a real slap in the face, like, wait a minute, like these guys that I grew up idolizing and just memorizing the stats, like they are going away. And I want to be able to hold on to that. So that's what I've been doing. Dude, I think that is amazing. That's one of the most creative and thoughtful things ever. Like to start from the beginning, to get an envelope that's already been like, you said, so they were like canceled, right? And yep. Um, and so, so let me get this right. Like, I understand the envelopes yep. that you're creating, which I want to talk a lot about, but because I, I like that a lot. But the other envelopes that you'll collect are envelopes that were sent but then got canceled. Correct? Yeah, exactly. So this is a, this is a weird one. The Hall of Fame one is very weird because, like I said, I can't explain why, but it's a big stack of envelopes that were canceled in Cooperstown on this day. But they don't have any address. They Ooh, were not put so through the is postal. That, is that what you're putting the cards on? There you go. The cards oh, go on there. So, and yeah. and in, in the the collecting world, it's totally acceptable to go to a post office. And I don't want to put this through the mail system. But you want to not every postal clerk appreciates this. But you can request hand back service of postmarking of your philatelic material. So I'll bring this envelope in. Like I, the only one I've done so far is Hank Aaron, January Mm -hmm. 22nd. Mm -hmm. So I made uh, an envelope. I got the card on there. I hand wrote all the stats. I got some stamps that were related to Hank Aaron. He was a boy scout. I'm an Eagle scout. So I there's a lot of boy scouts on stamps. I have to have extra ones of those. I think I had a Clemente or a Jackie Robinson stamp, rich history of baseball and postage stamps, right? A 1939, commemoration of the 100 year anniversary of like the first baseball game or whatever in 1839 so i stick all these on the envelope i go into the post office and i say hey i'm a collector today's a special day um you may have heard hank aaron passed away uh could you postmark this envelope and then i'll, I'll take it out with me nine out of ten times the postal clerk has some knowledge to impart on me that is not accurate they, they actually do have to do this they, they they're required to do this from their their manual of instructions and then uh, you know you can be nice about it and, and we always end up working it out but most of the time they just look at me like dude you're very excited about this i'm gonna let you hit the, <laughs> hit the stamp with your with the cancellation device on your own because i don't want to mess this up for nice. you so that's the idea and it's kind of macabre like it's a little morbid right like i'm basically kind of watching Willie Mays and I'm like, I think he might be the next one to go and I hope everything's going good for Willie, but I have an envelope waiting with a 72 Willie Mays tops card on it. And as soon as he passes, I'll try to go the day of, but of course there are going to be days people might pass on a Sunday. They might pass at seven o'clock at night and I'll have to go the next day. But yeah, I hope that paints a more complete picture of the project. I don't have a name. Actually what I've, I put a hashtag to the name. It's like, um, it's like uh, HOF covers, Hall of Fame covers. So hopefully, as I get more of these made, they'll be more uh, easier to find on social media. That's another big thing that I've done with my professional uh, work as well is just get out there. I mean, you know how exciting it is, right? Social media is where people share what they're most passionate about, and it's been great. It's been a lot of fun. Before I say what I want to say, what is your <laughs> Instagram? handle or whatever you call it where can people find you on instagram oh yeah i mean i have been able to brand this um, idea not only on instagram but across many platforms it's called dissecting flattling and uh yeah dissecting is d-i-s-s 
E-C-T-I-N-G, and then philately is a bit of a, probably not an everyday word, right? It's P-H-I-L-A-T-E-L-Y. So dissecting philately, if you could tag me in anything uh, related to sharing this conversation, that would just be amazing. And it's a play on, I'm an anatomy instructor, so I do dissection with my students in the anatomy lab. And I also really like stamp collecting and philately. So I just thought I would. I'm basically trying to merge my two big uh, passions in life. And it's been a lot of fun. I've been doing that for about a year and a half now. Okay, yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, I'll put it in the description of this podcast. So if you're listening to it, just hit like the info button. And that's where so I'll have your Instagram on there as well so people can find it. But also, like, I'll share it on my Instagram too because that sounds really cool. Okay, first and foremost – I get it now because you're getting the canceled Cooperstown envelopes and doing these, which is awesome. Now, you said something a second ago about how it might seem a little morbid. Now, I could one-up you on that one. I read obituaries, <laughs> and I do it frequently. Okay. I'll read obituaries okay. of people of, like, my grandparents. Like, all four of my grandparents are gone. But I'll, I'll, okay. I'll still – I read my grandpa – um, my mom on my mom's side, his obituary. I've read it within the last six months, and I was – I wrote a post the other day and there was a place in town called Keeney Sports and that's where my mom, it was right next to Coast to Coast Hardware and that's where my mom would always take us to get our um, baseball stuff for the year. Get your new pants because you're growing, new Mizuno cleats, new yep, stirrups yep. or whatever. And when I was researching the store, I was um, I wanted to know the proper spelling of the name. So I researched, I search, Google searched it on what I thought it was and the guy that ran the shop for 21 years, Terry, his obituary came up. And so I immediately read it. And the reason why I like reading obituaries and the reason why I absolutely love what you're doing is because this sounds morbid. If so, this sounds really insensitive if someone's lost somebody recently. So I apologize for oh, that. Sure. But I think there's a beauty in death that can be found because it's in recognizing the life that was lived. And I think that what you're okay. doing with the stamping is recognizing that life, right? So when I read this Terry guy's obituary, you know, it was, you know, about what he did for a living, the family he created, you know, his kids, his grandkids, his great grandkids and all of this stuff. And I think it's, I think it's a wonderful thing to recognize the life that was lived and celebrate it. And I think it also reminds us that life is short and like we'll be gone one day and our kids are still be here. Like I just thought about this last night while I was like, yep. my dog, I'm going to die someday. And one that motivates me to just work harder and be a better person, which must've been what our parents were thinking when they were raising us. I'm not sure. Um, and that sort of just motivates me through my day. And it also just helps me to, you know, recognize the moments that are in front of me. But I think it's a wonderful thing with what you're doing, you know, to recognize that life that was lived and celebrate it. And, you know, just remember that life is short, but I mean, I, I'm probably doing a really bad job of explaining this now. Cause I felt like I was going to say something and forgot, but I'm, I mean, I love it, you know, to, to go there, the action of going there and getting the stamp done. That's something that probably seems to some people unnecessary like why waste the time to do it you know just put the thing mm. on the thing and go you know for somebody who's like maybe one doesn't collect stamps or two maybe doesn't have a relationship with death like me or you have but i think in life it's the smallest things like that 
it's like just being present in the moment. You know, when we talked about being parents earlier and we're like, what do we do? Why don't we just be present? And I think that little thing that you're doing by getting it stamp, by getting that stamp canceled is such a huge sign of respect and recognition for the life that was lived. And I, I, I like it a lot. Like it makes me feel good to hear you tell that. That's a great, that's a great angle. I, thanks for offering that. I had not ever gone there. And another reason why these conversations are, are great. So yeah, that's, it's all about legacy and I'm only making one of these. There, there are people in business of, of making these covers and, you know, they'll make 50, they'll, they'll hand sign them and, and that'll be their livelihood. But for me, it's pure enjoyment and sitting down with my kids, like my poor family, every, I, I do this a lot. So we go, tra- we, we, tra- we travel somewhere and we go spend, you know, two weeks in, in uh, rural Texas. Right. And it's like, okay, what are we going to do? It's like, well, Hey, we got some envelopes in the drawer. We got some postage stamps. Why don't we, daddy's going to draw you know, an outline of the state of Texas, we're going to draw some of the most important landmarks in this town of 1,700 people, and then we're going to go to the post office, and we're going to get it uh, canceled, and they're not going to put it in the mail. They're going to hand it back to me, and then it goes uh, into my collection, and, and so then I'll look back. It's like, wait, like I was in Lexington, Texas. Remember that Christmas that we were there, and uh, remember uh, Snow's Barbecue? They won Best Barbecue in Texas, and now the lady has like a Netflix special. It's like really fun stuff. It tells stories. It, it connects people in places. and places. Yeah, that, I, I really like all the points you made, Quinn. That was that was powerful, man. Thank you. I mean, no, like that. Yeah, that sounds like what you just said now. You know, like being in a town and getting that stamped. It like stamps the memory in, you know, and what we did is I think that goes back to like nostalgia giving us roots because at some point you're going to feel nostalgia for the moments that you're currently living. And then when your five-year-old and seven-year-old get older, they're going to look back on this with such fondness. And then it's going to, you know, go to their kids and their kids. And that's part of the reason why, you know, I think, you know, recognizing the person's life is so powerful because, you know, they've done the same thing. And then now you have like a whole world of people around baseball. You, Hank Aaron, and your daughters, like, you know, can share like all of this stuff around just this silly game of baseball. But, you know, it's really not silly and it's so much more than baseball. It's just amazing. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Good stuff. But, yeah, I'm going to have to check out some of that stuff. And, yeah, I'll share some of it on my Instagram so people can look at it because I'm really excited to uh, – yeah, I think it I think it means a lot for sure. Um, it's that collecting – I've never heard anyone talk about the collecting gene, though. I think maybe I have it too. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. I think I'm, bringing, I'm crossing it over from stamp collecting. I definitely listen to way more stamp collecting podcasts. And they they bring up the stamp collecting. The collecting gene comes up often. So you might have to think about that and see if there are any other areas in your life where you're trying to bring uh, or order to chaos. <laughs> I think, yeah, that makes – because, like, in my podcast studio now, like, I have, like, unopened wax boxes and, like, cards propped up on little tripods. And they're all sort of, you know, they are in order. And when I'll do stuff like that, like come in here and put them in order, like it, it just feels fun. And I don't know why, you know, it's sort of like, like sometimes I think it's because it's a non-digital thing, you know, like when you had talked yeah. when you first yeah. started talking about the envelopes, I was like, oh, like 
writing a letter and mailing it, I was like, that's cool. You know, I think when I was a kid, like when I got, I didn't get a cell phone until I was 19. And I remember being a kid and just, you know, riding my bike somewhere. And if my friend wasn't home, I would just turn around and leave because I wasn't texting him. You know, that if you wanted to use the landline, you might call a friend and it might be busy for an hour because their, their siblings been on the phone for so long. But sometimes like I like cards because of just the, the analog aspect of it, you know, like there's nothing to type in. There's no screen to look at. Like you flip the card over and there's just information on it, you know? And then when you cancel a stamp and you're doing that, you know, it's just, there's this physical thing that you can hold in your hand. It's like a record, you know, and it's, you can have it and it's physical and you look at it and it's, it's just as simple as that, you know? And yeah, you, you've got to look up the term analog leisure yeah, it's a uh, it's a Cal New- Newport term, and it totally like rocked my world when I was reading about it. And it's like this is what I want for my kids. Like screens, we're trying to keep the screens at bay. Uh, you've got a little one too. I mean, everyone's got their own approach, but it's like let's get my kids involved in stamp collecting because they have to manipulate and handle the stamps with these little tweezers. It's hilarious. It's like, it's so funny to watch them do this. And they're, they're not stamps that are worth, you know, anything at all, but it's just so funny to see them handle these things and ask me what's on the stamp and like, who's this old lady with a crown on her head? Like that is queen Elizabeth II. And then we just keep having these fun series of questions and you're, you're absolutely right. And have you ever posted a picture of your studio? I would love to see the full thing because I'm always getting little peaks over your shoulder. But have you done like a full panorama of your studio? I have not. Put that out there. I posted a picture maybe a year and a half ago, and it looks completely different now. But I should do that. um, If you're comfortable. Oh no, no. I've posted. It sounds awesome. (laughs) <laughs> it's, I mean, I've got a skateboard on the wall, some starting lineups. I've got some old WWF wrestling action figures. It is, it looks very cool if you're a collector and it looks like footage if you run the Hoarders television show on the Discovery Channel. You know what I mean? So it's, it works <laughs> exactly. a couple different ways. But um, I think also, like, so you mentioned screens and some, like, I obviously <laughs> we're here because of a screen, right? But I get the limiting. Okay, okay. I get the limiting of the screen because I as well do that with my daughter because sometimes like I feel like a screen is just no work at all. You know, if you want to learn information, you could just Google it. Like there's a lot of times there's not a hands-on aspect of a screen. So yeah, we limit my daughter's screen time. If yeah. there's a cell phone around, we're not on it and it's and I think part of that is because, yeah, I didn't grow up with – it's very cliche to say I don't want my kid on a screen. So I thought about it like when my daughter was born. I was like, well, why don't I, you know? And I read yeah. an article uh, – this was a couple years ago, so I don't remember it really well. But it was about a – like a group, like a car club. And they were, I think, in California because some state was – or some car company or some state was exploring laws that when cars became automatic, that they would take steering wheels out of cars. And the article started with the stick shift. So manual transmission in cars, you can't really get them anymore because automatics, they're, they're, more, they're more efficient on gas, and people just don't know how to drive sticks, right? 
And this article talked about individual agency, you know, doing something yourself, like doing the work yourself. And so their thing was, well, we always want stick shifts in cars, but their main thing was we always want steering wheels in cars. As companies like Tesla get more advanced, there's the possibility Mm -hmm. in the future that we'll have cars with no steering wheels. You'll never, ever be able to drive yourself. And they hit on this individual agency is like, you know, sometimes we want to do the work ourselves. You know, we don't want to live in this digital world where everything is done for us because that work, whether it's, you know, as small as putting a car from first gear to second gear or making a left hand turn or the physicalness of, you know, putting the card on the envelope, the physicalness of getting in the car and going to the post office to get the stamp canceled and to turn around and come home. That seems like a small, meaningless endeavor, but I think something like that means everything because, you know, you can go to YouTube and watch a video on everything and it makes you seem like you've lived it because you've been in it. You know, like with reality TV and everything, you're a part of other people's lives. And Jim Morrison talked about it and I don't, like voyeurism, like watching. I think that yeah. a lot of times it's like related to porn, but I think the the gist of the 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 term is living through other people and watching other people do it. And I think the act of do of canceling the stamp and having this physical thing is keeping your and your daughter's individual agency. If you know, we're not just going to watch other people do stuff. Like we're going to do something with something physical, and I think that comes with also like limiting screens to a certain extent because then that fosters you know less voyeurism and more imagination more physical hey we're going to do something you know because when me and you were kids you know being in the 80s we would just wake up and go outside and be outside forever and always find something to do you know yeah. and i say that That's because right. i never i don't want to turn into the get off my lawn guy who's like digital's bad <laughs> and kids just staying and play video yeah, games sure. all day. I understand the world we're in and screens serve a phenomenal yeah. purpose. Me and you are having a conversation right now and it's because of a screen, you know, screens are going to help our daughters learn faster. Like I remember being in school and like sure. having to flip open encyclopedias and, you know, research stuff and the Dewey decimal system in the library, you know, our kids are going to be way smarter than us if we do, a halfway decent job but i i that's one of the reasons why i really like what you're doing as well because that that term they keep using individual agency i didn't even know agency was a word outside of like a business but it's like sure, an activity sure. in work where you just do it yourself um so yeah that's really all i have to say on that but yeah absolutely no that that's a new that's a new uh new world for me too i'll have to dig into that thing yeah i'll have to send you the article it's a good one because these guys are just super passionate about wanting to be able to drive like doing something for yourself like changing your own oil or you know just being active in life and i think that's one of the things like i like about nostalgia is to it sort of reminds me to be active in my life where you know you're talking about like you and your wife like going out to baseball games like 10 ballparks, like, that's a demanding thing. You know, it's it, baseball parks are so big. It's a lot of times it's not easy to go to a major league baseball game. You got to, you know, drive in traffic. You're waiting oh, in line yeah. to get into the park. It's really work. And I love that you guys do that. How's about that? Oh, tell me out of the 10 ballparks you've been to, 
What's your well? First of all, what ballparks have you been to? Oh, I got it. I really wish I would have pulled the spreadsheet up. But we're talking places like we've been, like I mentioned, Target Field in Minnesota. We we've done some cathedrals. We've done Yankee Stadium too before they knocked that down. Mm-hmm. Oh. We've done Fenway, uh, which I know triggers your wife, so you may want to <laughs> lower the volume over there. Uh, then then the Wrigley, of course, the home field we have is uh, Coors Field. We did uh, Devil Ray Stadium in Tampa. We've got family in Arizona. So we've been to Chase uh, Field. And I think there's a few more that I'm just not able to pull out of the, the air right now. But, um, yeah, just great, great stories and great memories with each one of those visits for sure. Listen, so you would have been – so you lived – you're just outside of Denver, right? Is that what you said? Yeah. You know, so I grew up just outside of Denver, and now – I'm closer to uh, uh, the city of Boulder. I'm in Boulder County, but I don't live in Boulder. That's uh, most people know that town with the university there. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not too far from Denver. It's about a you know 20 minute drive. So you were there. So you would have been, I guess, 11 years old when the Rockies came into existence. There you go. There Dude. you go. I like where you're going. I so like the map. So when was the first Rockies game you went to? Was it the opening year? I don't know if I went to a baseball game for the Rockies their first two seasons they played at Mile High Stadium where the Broncos play Mm -hmm. because there wasn't a dedicated ballpark built yet Coors Field opened in 95 I remember going to tons of minor league baseball games at uh, Mile High Stadium I don't remember my first Rockies game I don't know if it was at Mile High it was probably at Coors Field I don't really remember what was the first ballpark you went to do you remember that so, I mean, it must have been, are you talking like to watch like more of a professional level of yeah. baseball? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it must have been Mile High Stadium to watch. the. Um, so we had the minor league team at the time was the Zephyrs. And I guess the Zephyr is like a, a train, a type of train. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, we went to see the, the Zephyrs play. I don't know if what level they were, if they were triple A. Probably, but I, I definitely remember going to a game because I brought my glove, and I think the opposing team, they signed my glove, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is a big deal. Like, these guys that I'm watching play in this huge stadium are signing and autographing my glove. Like, what is happening right now? That is a very clear memory I have early on with organized baseball, for sure. Oh, yeah, that's uh, What about cool. for you? I don't know. Have I heard you mention on an episode yet? What about you? What's your... I, my first ballpark would have been Old Bush Stadium. I, I don't remember how old I would have oh, been nice. because – so being in southern Illinois, you could get to St. Louis in about an hour and 40 minutes. I mean, you could probably be in the stadium at the two-hour mark. So that was always the quickest trip. But I was always a right. Cubs fan growing up, and I didn't go to Wrigley Field for the first time until I was like 19 years old. I just I never sure. left my little bubble in Southern Illinois. To be honest with you, as a family growing up, we never went on yep. vacation. My dad worked probably six to seven days a week until I was out of high school at least. And that was only because he wow. had hurt his knee and then had to get a hip replaced because he worked construction his whole life and then yep. had, was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis when I think I was one or two years into college and the combination of the two, it, it was early retirement for him at that point. And like none of my, my mom as well, my mom had a business. So she was a, like, she was a hairdresser 
And that was my dad built an extension onto the house. So she had her business attached to the house and they just worked all the time. We, we, we never went anywhere. So that was why, like, I was only out of the Midwest. I didn't go. I went to the Atlanta Braves. The Braves were playing the Cubs, I think, in 2016. And that was the first time I had ever been to a stadium that wasn't close to home because we just didn't travel. Oh, wow. And then now the I've been to where the Oakland Athletics play and – that's it. Yeah. Braves, Cubs, Cardinals, okay. A's. And the A's was just by chance because my wife had the work trip. But one of the that things, was, yeah. like oddly enough, one of my – my dad always used to take me to the dirt track races because those were about 15 minutes from the house. And not yep. related to baseball, that's probably one of my early, like, nostalgic memories of, like, going to an event. Like, I remember the hamburgers would come wrapped in foil, and they were so damn good. <laughs> And I just, yeah. the smell of the dirt track, because like you could smell like the gas and the alcohol from the engines, because I guess, I don't know, I think it runs four strokes, <laughs> I'm not sure, but I know it wasn't just straight gas. So like even the place, I went back home in 2017, I think the same weekend we went to that Cardinals game and we went to the dirt tracks again and it still smelled the same, man. You know, when you had mentioned Ooh, wow. how, you know, the, the sense of smell carries such memories with it. When I went, I was like, oh, this is it, you know? Um, it was a good time. Absolutely. Yeah, I grew up on the, the ball fields and my dad was like a, a serial, uh, baseball or softball team player. I mean, he was just on my, the way my mom tells it, he was on like three softball teams at a time. Nice. And so sure enough, I, I can remember going and he would be playing and the, 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 the area in between the fields was our playground and we'd run around the scoring booth and just go nuts and have all the great, you know, snacks and treats and concessions that they were selling. Uh, you know, when, when, when uh, mom wasn't looking, we can, you know, go have some of that and <sighs> definitely grew up with that. And then, and then T-ball for sure. I mean, so many years of T-ball and I need to go visit those fields. I need to take a trip down memory lane, take my kids, uh, back to the, the ball fields I grew up playing on and have them go run around. Hopefully they're not leveled to the ground, but yeah, that would be pretty cool. Dude, there's something about the experience of being at a ballpark that's just so fun. Like, it's funny you mentioned concessions because I remember being in Little League <laughs> and like after the game, before the game, or sometimes in between innings, I would just make a mad dash to the concession stands. They had these little pink sugar suck, uh, uh, like sugar suckers, and I would get those and then some Lowry's beef jerky. And I was, dude, I loved the concessions, man. And just like you said, hanging out, like playing in the grass while your dad's playing ball, like that, oh, yeah. dude, like it's just a day at the ballpark. Like I don't think anything beats just a summer day at the ballpark. It doesn't matter, you know. Like, you talked about going to some minor league games at Mile High. Like, I heard somebody say the other day that talked to, they were talking about baseball, and they said that, you know, it's sort of dependent on the players. Like, they said that they would never just go and watch a random baseball game. And I'm thinking in my head, I absolutely would do that. Like, I joined an adult softball league for the first time this year, and it's such a blast. And there's one particular field we'll go to where they'll have like fifth and sixth graders on the field over uh, playing ball. And <laughs> one day after the game, I just well, I was just watching them play. And it was a blast. I didn't know anybody. They were kids playing. But it was just fun to watch, like the sounds of the game, you know, like 
you know, the, the crack of an aluminum bat, even I love the sound of, you know, and then when the glove pops, when, you know, the catcher makes, you know, like when the pitcher's throwing to him or someone makes a good play, like just the sounds of the game, like, I don't care who's playing. Doesn't matter to me. I just want to hear it and smell it. You know, the fresh cut grass, see the dirt fly up when someone slides into home. It's the best. Well, that was Ken Burns' point, right? In in that film, was the pace of baseball is so varied. There, there's a lot of slowness to it. That's why everything is, you know, quantifiable, right? And but yeah, the pace is just lends itself. For such a rich experience, there's there's nothing like it. You mentioned the Ken Burns documentary in your notes. I, oh, if yeah. I were truly trapped on a desert island, <laughs> if I had a DVD player in that box set, just leave me. I'll just eat a coconut and drink some water, whatever. Like I don't care because that <laughs> there are so many parts on that movie that are so good. Um, like what you mentioned at the beginning that um one of your daughters is real like analytical like and she like takes score right yeah yeah you got it and yeah. there is i think her name's barbara she's one of the the people that they interview in that movie and she says cuz i want to do that with my daughter so bad she said that when her dad would go to work cuz he taught her how to keep score so when yeah. he would go to work, she had to keep score, and it was the sweetest right. thing. So she said while he was at work, he would, she would meticulously, they were Brooklyn Dodgers fans, take that score. And when he got home, he would say, okay, tell me what you did, you know, and she would go over the whole game on the score. But she found out years later that he already knew what had happened. He was just doing that to spend that moment with her. And I was like, well, I want to do that with my daughter, you know? It's that physical, like, analog thing of, like, action and doing something. And it's those types of pictures that that movie, you know, paints really well. And I think, to me, one of the stars of that whole thing is Buck O'Neill. Oh, yeah. What a gem. Like, he... I've got his book, and I only read about half of it before I got sidetracked, not because it wasn't a good uh, book, but because I have a tendency where I'll read like two or three books at the same time, and it takes me forever yeah. to finish them because then I'll jump to something else. And yeah. his book is titled, I Was Right on Time, and it was because somebody asked him the question of, don't you wish you had come along a little later after Jackie Robinson had broken the color barrier and you could have played Major League Baseball? And his answer was, no, I think I came at the right time. And he was infinitely a glass half full person, just like Dan Quisenberry. When they asked Dan Quisenberry, when he got his brain tumor, they were like, hey, man, don't you don't you wish like this had happened to someone else and not you? And he goes, no, like, why not me? He goes, I would never want this to happen to somebody else. And in the face of death, because he had months to live. Like, he didn't care. Yeah. Like he he was more thankful for everything he had had than, you know, death and the brain tumor that he had. And it was sort of that way with Buck O'Neill where he's he's interviewing in the Ken Burns documentary and he was so happy. You know, it's a guy that could have been, you know, negative about so many things. And he was just the happiest guy, loved telling baseball stories. And was really a motivation because just because the glass is always half full. You know, we've got a lot of great things around us. And the way he told baseball stories, I could listen to him forever. 
Oh yeah, no kidding. Put yeah, put putting him on me on a de- deserted island with him. That that would be that would be great. <laughs> Dude, he when he tell when, I'd say probably my favorite story that he tells is when he saw Bo Jackson play in Kansas City and he said the sound off of Bo Jackson's bat had this just thundering crack to it. And he goes, I've only heard that two other times in my life. <laughs> he goes, once Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth could hit a ball just like that. Josh Gibson could hit a ball just like that. And Josh Gibson <laughs> was apparently the premier Negro League player. Like some people would call yeah. Josh Gibson the black Babe Ruth. But Josh Gibson was so good, a lot of people would call Babe Ruth the white Josh Gibson because Josh Gibson was just so good. And so Buck O'Neill was like, three guys I've heard hit a ball that hard. Babe Ruth, Josh Gibson, Bo Jackson. That was it. That was it. And I was like, man, he just had such a wealth of knowledge in that whole movie. That's right. That's right. He had all the, the samples, all the data. He just had it all. It was pretty impressive to hear him him speak for sure and i have no idea how ken burns did a documentary that long like i find myself watching that and it's so detailed and (laughs) non-repetitive i'm like geez like i don't know how long it took him to do it but he built a masterpiece like that thing it starts from the beginning and it goes all the way to i think it ends when they did like the extras with like the steroid era and Barry Bonds and stuff. And even I found that interesting. Like, let me ask you this. Like, do you put a lot of thought into the steroid era? And if so, does it make you look at baseball negatively or anything? Yeah, I haven't really put, I I think I'm trying to abstain from getting into that because I don't want to get into anything controversial. I'm trying to embrace more conflict in my life. But it's like, man, that is such a sticky topic right there. And I get all sides of the argument. And it's like, man, there's the purest side. And like, well, what is even a purist? Like, is, is a purist a moving target? And everybody's doing it. arguments like, this is nuts. I really, I mean, I was in love with the Stoics and McGuire day. I have all the newspaper clippings. I wanted them to run this by you. I found in my my little memorabilia box, a binder clip of like 80 days worth of newspaper clippings in Colorado. The Rocky Mountain News had the home run chase on like the front page. So every day I would clip it out. I was like, Griffey's got this many, Sammy's got this many, Big Mac's got this many, Griffey starts falling off and it's just between Sammy and Big Mac. And it's like, man, this is great. This is so good for the game. And it's like, wait a minute, it's a little too good. You know, like it turns out, Oh, man, I don't know. It's nuts. And then you have all kinds of revelations with other teams that are up to no good. I mean, it's just it just really does make me question what is the purity of this and what are we participating in? And is there such a thing as pure? And I don't know if I have an answer for you with, like, I really do not think Clemens and Bonds should ever get in or, you know what, they kind of paid their dues, they did their time. Like, I really don't know what to say. I'm kind of abstaining from thinking about it a lot. I'm trying to think about your position that you shared on other episodes and where you land, but that's kind of where I am right now. I I like, I'm to the point now where I don't really issue any judgment on it. And I don't care to like debate records with other people on it. But like that in the 94 strike, 
I sort of look at as like a favorite song I was listening to around that time. And I think back on it with fondness because when I think of like the 94 season, like with the strike, so I'll start there first. Like the 1994 MLB strike was an awful thing, right? You had a home run chase from Matt Williams. You had the 400 chase with Tony Gwynn. You, the Expos could have won a World Series. Don Mattingly could have won a World Series. I think even the Cleveland Indians had a really loaded team that year. But now sure. I look back, that 1994 strike season has sort of given us like this enigmatic mystery where we're like, I mean, those are the same words, but like it's just given us this mystery that I find incredibly interesting. And I think it's so fun to talk about, hey, man, who would have won the World Series that year? Would Tony Gwynn have hit 400? And – I tend to try to take the glass half full approach of it. And so like when I think of the 98 strike, like I don't care to do really any sort of debate. I mean the 98 home run chase, any sort of debate. Like I sort of just look at it with fondness of what it was. Like I think the home run chase was an exciting thing. And I don't think, and like, I think some people look at it now as they're like, hey, man, that was really good when we watched it, but now we know we were all duped. And I don't even look at myself (laughs) as like being cheated out of a season. It's just sort of like it happened, and I remember that summer, and it was a fun summer. And to me, it's sort of still fun to think about. Part of me thinks that sometimes our anger might not stem from the actual cheating but because the cheating happened, we lost the 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 potential that a record could be set every year. I remember in yeah. being a kid in the early nineties and waking up every morning and I'd watch Sports Center with my dad. So he always left the house early. So I'd always set my alarm clock for five AM and it was so exciting every summer to wonder if someone was gonna hit four hundred and if someone was going to hit 62 home runs, it was, yeah. I mean, it would just, it's all I ever thought about. And that was like a, such a huge storyline in the game. And when you take that storyline out of the game, I mean, I think, ev- I think everybody was going to feel a certain way about it, especially if it came from a guy that you didn't like. And I wonder sometimes like if Barry Bonds had broken the home run record and never got popped for steroids if people would be like, well, Barry was a dick, so who cares? Like, he's he, he's sort of everything that's wrong with baseball. And if people wouldn't just find something else with him to hate, because I think such a big part of baseball was, are the numbers and the records, and they sort of took that away from us. And I think that compounds so much of, you know, the disdain for the steroid era is, hey, man, like, you may have cheated, and that's fine. Like, David Ortiz showed up on the same steroid report as Sammy Sosa, and he didn't break any records. And he's probably – yeah, there was, like, the report that Sammy showed up on was, like, a a court document that got leaked from, like, the USA Today or something like that or the New York Times. And, like, David Ortiz was on that list. But David Ortiz didn't take any of our records, you know? Like, David Ortiz didn't take the joy out of it from from my game that I watched, but Sammy and Mark did. So screw those guys because now I can't wake up every morning and watch Sports Center 
and, you know, tell me what King Griffey Jr.'s home run pace is on or what Giancarlo Stanton's home run pace is on because it doesn't matter. Now the records are gone because no one will bat 400 exactly. and no one's going to hit 74 home runs. It's just not going to happen unless you That's make right. at a 200-season nope. game. But I guess to answer your question finally and say, where do I stand on the air? Like, I guess I definitely don't care enough to argue about it. And... I mean, to me, if Bonds gets in the Hall of Fame or if Mark or Sammy do, I guess I just don't care. I don't care if they get in the Hall of Fame or not. And I think a lot of that is, like, baseball just means something different to me, you know? Yep, exactly. I'm trying to think what else we can cover here. We'll talk about this real quick. I don't... Mm. I really got excited when I was reading the Wikipedia article on the Simpsons episode, Homer at the Bat. Um, cause I, I have to also assume that you grew up the, as a fan of the Simpsons. I, a little bit, I never was, <laughs> I know, right? Like I, I don't think I've watched that episode in probably since like it came out, which was in like in the early nineties or something like that. Oh, yeah. Season, season three. So probably 92 or something. Yeah. But I mean, like. All the guys they had, like I'm on the Wikipedia page right now, like Roger Clemens, Wade Boggs, Griffey Jr., Steve Sachs, Jose Canseco. I mean, those are, I mean, dude, the Simpsons, I remember one of the first Nintendo games I got was a Simpsons game and Bart was on a skateboard and I absolutely loved it. And then having, I don't know how many crew neck sweatshirts I had of the Simpsons growing up but like bart simpson was the coolest ever like the christmas episode where he gets a tattoo and oh, then yeah. has to get it removed like i i watch that every christmas like that's a staple <laughs> in my thing but dude like it's like this episode homer at the bat is so representative of like one of the best eras of baseball daryl strawberry mike socia like mike socia like this is all <laughs> crazy and like the gist of it is does uh, Mr. Burns like buys all these players right to win? Yep, yep, yep. He's getting the ringers. Yep, dude, that is unreal. But you're a big Simpsons fan. Yeah, yeah, huge. Definitely, uh, like every episode up and through college, I definitely have fallen off and haven't kept up with the, the later seasons. But yeah, like it's almost like life was just going through and quoting the Simpsons for a while there. Because <laughs> I mean, there's even. Uh, like a subreddit on the Reddit website that's like called Simpsons did it. And like you, you read this crazy headline and like, you know, mutated animals found near nuclear power plant. It's like, Nope, this is not a new story. The Simpsons did it. <laughs> so they, they've just been around so long. There was some sort of like big prediction. Oh, you may or may not know this and I'm not going to give you a lot of information on it, but sometime <laughs> within the last three or four years, Something that happened in current events was immediately tied to a Simpsons episode like 20 or 30 years prior. And I don't remember what it was, but it was spot on. And I was like, well, if you write a show for that long, chances are you're going to get something yeah. right because it's still on, right? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it definitely is. It, yeah, it's it's almost as old as we are. It's definitely in the 30 season era for sure. I mean, I think you can get 
I have Disney Plus, so me, my wife, and my daughter will watch Moana about every third day because <laughs> it's just a great movie. We have to watch it. And I think yeah. I think this, The Simpsons is on there. I don't know if it's every season of The Simpsons currently, but I mean, I feel like I have to get a binge on that because I never, I didn't watch a ton of TV growing up, and it just it, I never watched a ton of The Simpsons, but. Okay, gotcha. Um, but I at least ha- I got to rewatch this episode for sure because it's been forever. And apparently, wait, Mr. Burns tried to hire Cap Anson and Pie Trainer. Were all yeah. these guys in it? Mordecai yeah. Three Finger Brown? Yes, exactly. He's telling his assistant Snickers, like, okay, we're going to win this league. I need you to recruit the following players. Oh. He's like so proud. Like, look at my all star team. And Honus Wagner and so on. And then Smithers is like, uh, you know, Mr. Burns, like your left fielder has been dead for 125 years or something like that. Because, uh, you know, that's the running gag is Montgomery Burns is older than than Dirk. Uh-huh. And like nobody really knows how old he is, but he's always making these obscene, crazy remarks uh, using these outdated concepts. So, oh, it's great. I mean, if you're a baseball fan, you just – fallen in love i'd have to mention my favorite baseball player um is is in the show at ozzy smith as you mentioned there was no major league baseball in colorado until 1993 so it was kind of like well who am i gonna follow and who do i root for and i'm a diehard st louis cardinals fan and that's mainly because i played shortstop and ozzy smith was just electric and a great role model and still is and just could not get enough of those backflips and all that good stuff and so ozzy smith for me the cardinals and it was great seeing ozzy smith in that simpsons episode it was just classic dude it those 90s like those 80s like late 80s early 90s really all through the 90s i think ozzy smith played to like 95 or 96 but those teams nice. are there's some of my favorite and even like growing up a cubs fan because my my brother was a cardinals <laughs> fan so my brother like one of his 86 tops card that i liked it was a don mattingly and an ozzy smith card so i love yeah, ozzy yeah. smith jose okendo tom herba ozzy smith i mean did you ever see that play that throw he made when he was still with the padres and yep. like dove for a ball I I and gotcha. yeah, caught it barehanded and threw it like yes. unreal. Yes. What the heck? And that wasn't even a play that was, I, I mean, I was like an Ozzy Smith forever and it was like 10 years into my, my fandom. And I was like, wait a minute, he did that. Like, what the heck? Who does that? The ball took a crazy hop as he's diving behind second base and he just bare hands. It. And it's like, okay, that's amazing. Oh, wait a minute. He's going to throw Get to first, get the guy out. Insane. Uh, Insane. Unreal. I remember my brother had a a Diamond King of Ozzie Smith (laughs) on the Padres. And I remember when I learned that Ozzie Smith had been a Padre, it was like I found out wrestling was fake. I was like, wait, what? I was like, what is this card, man? He's not on the Cardinals. And my brother's like, yeah, he used to be on the Padres. I was like, he played for another team? Like, I felt sort of cheated. Like, it was information I didn't know that I felt like my brother should have told me. And I was like, you lied to me, man. (laughs) I felt so upset. (laughs) I I don't know why, but I remember feeling hurt that he was a Padre. I'm not even a Cardinals fan, but I did like (laughs) Ozzie Smith. The backflips, he always wore the no ear flap helmet, which I loved. And, like, one of the – so when he hit that home run against the Dodgers in, geez, like the 85 NLCS, when he hit, like, that home run with the Mm -hmm. big call that was like – 
I, well, I don't remember the call because I'm on the spot and I'm recording, so I, I can't remember what it was. But it was like that legendary yeah. call of like Jack Buck, I think. I'm not sure. And the chances of him hitting a home run in that moment were like getting struck by lightning while simultaneously <laughs> scratching a winning Powerball ticket because he had only hit like three home runs in his last one million at bats or something oh, like yeah. that. And oh, it yeah. was like – one, the timeliness of it, like the fact that he did it in that spot because it was walk off, it was a walk off home run, but then also that he even hit a home run because him hitting a home run was almost next to impossible anyway. Because if he had 600 at bats in a season, he was maybe gonna hit one. Maybe I think oh, there were seasons yeah. he maybe. probably had zero. <laughs> but listen, I'm reading this um wikipedia right now can griffey jr develop giganticism after overdosing on <laughs> brain and nerve tonic that burns and administered to the team this is awesome box was knocked yeah. unconscious by barney at moe's tavern after an argument over lord palmerston or william pitt the elder was the greatest british prime minister and think of it daryl strawberry was actually the only pro able to play he was probably high on cocaine so he probably lived through everything he's the one that could definitely handle the most drugs no disrespect daryl <laughs> strawberry is a sweetheart but i think he sure, was built sure. to handle anything that could happen here and then homer got hit in the head by the first pitch it knocked him out and forced in the winning run this is great yeah this sounds like an yes. amazing game i can't believe that i haven't watched this in forever there's no way oh, i've watched man. this since i was a kid no shot at oh all. you're gonna love it you're gonna get the references it's gonna be great Jeez, yeah i'm gonna watch it and then i'll tell you about it after we if we record again that's uh that's what we'll talk about apparently jose canseco disliked the original part written for him yeah and asked yep. for it to, Jose Canseco was a freaking handful. Mark McGuire, I think, hated Jose before even the book because he was just such a handful. Who does that? Like, gets to, like, I don't like the part you wrote for me for a cartoon. Dude, what in the world? Yeah. Dude, that oh, guy had all kinds of reckless stuff. When he was on the athletics, he'd, like, got pulled over for driving, like, a Ferrari 150 miles an hour down the interstate. He was guy was nuts is he apparently thinks aliens are real now i don't know what it is oh yeah there's a great tweet that went around he's uh he's one of these celebrities that's getting into the cryptocurrency game and he's tweeting out there like hey is anyone out there uh like a, a token developer or something and this this person's like yeah hey jose um he's like hey i i can i can hook you up hit me up in my dms and so this guy's posting a screenshot of this conversation he's like so can you hook me up and the guy says no way, Jose. Uh, like the punchline. <laughs> this guy who I just like that picture is like a 13-year-old punk kid. 100%. And, you know, his parents' basement is just like punking Jose Canseco because Jose's like, I'm, look at me, I'm going to get in the crypto game. And then he gets punked by this Twitter user. Ho Jose's no an way, entrepreneur, Jose. man. He was getting into like alien tours. Like he would he would advertise on his oh. Twitter that he was offering a he, he was offering tours to see aliens and Bigfoot because he knew where they were at. And you could oh, contact him and go on these tours. And <laughs> I don't I honestly, if I was anywhere close to where he was at, I will probably buy a ticket and see what he could find. <laughs> That Listen, awesome. okay, so you told me your favorite baseball player is Ozzie Smith. So let's get into like a little bit of a lightning round because we'll close this thing out. We're at an hour 20. If you're still listening to us, thank Sounds you. Great. Okay, first and foremost, you listed movies on here, right? So I want to know what's your favorite yep. baseball movie? 
Okay, I definitely went through a list of movies because you asked, I believe it was, was it Eric Mussina, your your previous guest? You yes. guys got to a great thread on movies. And I was like, oh man, there's so many good ones out there. And I remember Rookie of the Year, I'm watching that a lot growing up and just, that was just such a funny premise. It's got kind of like a an anatomy medical twist on it where, you know, the kid breaks his arm and his, his ligaments heal up all tight, makes him throw these crazy fast pitches. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, I mean, the League of Their Own is so quotable. But I think Naked Gun, I like, I want to talk about Naked, the Naked Gun because Leslie Nielsen, just a comedic genius, the whole series of Naked Gun films, are just phenomenal, but like there, there is substantial baseball in the Naked Gun, and you may not realize that when you like see the title, and you might not even know what I'm talking about right now. But you have to watch this if you're a baseball fan, because like, I think the the finale of the film, I don't want to spoil it, but it gets really interesting at the end, and uh, Reggie Jackson ends up playing a, a major role in the end of the movie. And do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I you, do know what you're talking about because he one? tries to like uh, kidnap the queen of England or something, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. She, she comes to the States and one of the like diplomatic things that she does on her visit is goes to like an a, a, a Anaheim or California angels Dodgers game or something. And, yeah, Reggie Jackson is—he's uh, out to get her. It's hilarious. <laughs> you know, oddly enough, how I figured that out was like a couple of years ago. I did a Reggie Jackson post on the Angels, and everybody was like, "He's about to kidnap the Queen." I was like, "What are you guys talking about?" So I googled it, and I finally figured it out. I was like, "Oh, dude, this is awesome!" Okay. Now listen, A League so of Their random. Own, very quotable movie. A League of Their Own is a phenomenal movie. I don't think A League of Their Own gets enough love. For being a good baseball yeah, exactly. member, like, like most people, one rookie of the year is a good one. It's got obviously the kid breaks his arm, can throw a hundred plus, but then it also like <laughs> at the end where he throws the underhand pitch, and you get like the villain growling power hitter who's like slobbering yeah. in his mouth. Like that's one of the best for sure. And I get like my favorite. I think might be the Sandlot. Because it reminds me yeah. so much of just being a kid playing ball. Listen, I don't, I'm not a big meme guy. I don't know if, if that's a good thing or a thing, but <laughs> the only meme I've ever read, besides if it's about garlic bread, because <laughs> garlic bread memes are funny, <laughs> is this meme. It's got the characters from the Sandlot on it, and it says something along the lines of one day you went out to play with your friends, and it was the last time, and you wouldn't. And you didn't know it. And that to me is like so – I don't know why that hits me so hard. But it's like, Ooh. oh, my God, that's true. And I don't know when it was. And I wish I could do it again. And when I watched The Sandlot, it reminds me of that. Like my, me and my buddies would always ride. There was a Sandlot by the school, that the grade school I went to. And we would always go there and just like play ball. And I, I loved it. But there's another movie – do you know who Jeff Garland is, the comedian? He was in uh, not Curb Your... Yeah, he was in Curb Your Enthusiast. No. Okay. Did you ever watch any Larry David stuff on HBO? I think it's Curb Your Enthusiasm was the show he was in. But anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, great. Great yeah. series, yeah. Jeff Garland wrote, is a big Cubs fan. He wrote a baseball movie like three or four years ago called Dealing with Idiots. And the premise of it is he's a writer and he's trying to write a movie and his kid plays in a little league. And so he's like interviewing the other parents and trying to like develop characters off of these like crazy parents. 
But during the whole movie, there's an his and his dad has just passed away as well. So during the whole movie, his dad is like talking to him in his imagination. And it was a really good movie that I didn't expect it. I was like, oh, this is gonna be like a slapstick comedy or whatever. And it was really good. Um, I don't know if it's up there with my favorites, but it's called Dealing with Idiots and it's worth watching. Um but I'll go with yeah. I'm gonna go with Sandlot today. It'll probably change in a couple of days. But a league of your a league of their own, highly underrated criminal. Let me ask you this: You got a favorite non-baseball movie? Uh, so yes, easy easy answer: Dumb and Dumber, Jim Carrey, Jeff Daniels. And it actually got to be so uh, severe that I actually found myself watching this film with the girls that I was dating in college just as a way to kind of test their, like, their humor <laughs> levels. And, and could, if, they, like, you know, like, a real great gag would come on and, you know, oh, yeah, Austria puts another shrimp on the bobby and, you know, just kind of look to them and see what their reactions were. And, um, man, it was it was great. And I'll have to check in with my wife. She's, she's upstairs. I'll let her know how it's going. I'll be like, hey, I, I told Quentin about Dumb and Dumber and, and I'll have to get her her reaction to what it was like. But man, I just I could watch it any day, every day, and I will crack up laughing. And again, I find myself going through life quoting the movie. And isn't this exciting? Someday, when we allow our poor children to actually watch screens, and they're old enough to get these references, we're going to watch these movies with them, uh, just like my father-in-law watches Blazing Saddles with us. And we are going to crack up and lose our stuff. And we're going to look at our daughters, and we're going to be like, guys, this is the peak of American cinema. Like, why aren't you laughing? And then we'll get the eye rolls and we'll, we'll know we've Absolutely. made it because we'll be like those, those dads. And then we can like fist bump each other through the cosmos and be like, man, we did it. We arrived. And it, it's dumb and dumber for me all the way. Yeah. I remember watching that in the theater. I don't think I could recall oh, ever remembering a show that I watched in the theater as a kid, but me and my buddy Josh, we sat <laughs> front row and watched that movie. I laughed so hard. It hurt. Like I couldn't, I was doing like the, we were both doing like the non breathing, no sound laugh. And it's the best movie I've ever went to in the movie theater in my entire life. It's a phenomenal movie. That's a great choice. Cause yeah, dude, such a, such a good movie. I, mine might be, Tombstone, you put Tombstone on your list. Tombstone might yeah, be Tombstone dude, you, or Terminator. I love Tombstone. Yeah. You referenced Tombstone so much, and I was like, hey, this guy. And Tombstone, like my family has a connection to the Tombstone, the OK Corral. And, uh, you know, like I mentioned I inherited the stamp collection. Great grandma was the, the, the person that ran the post office, the postmaster in Tombstone uh, during, during the 1930s. And so she's got connections to Tombstone. And I, I know the OK Corral was 1881, but, you know, she, her, her family was born in that area. And, and her sister lived there her whole life. And it was just like this fam, family legacy. So you keep mentioning Tombstone. I'm like, this was totally meant to be to connect with Quentin and have this phone call because this guy like appreciates Tombstone, Arizona. So what is it about that? The film, right? The Kurt Russell and, and others, right? Val Kilmer. Like what, what does that mean to you? Why is that your best? Listen, first of all, that is awesome. <laughs> I need to know them in my real life. Listen, Doc Holliday, so much about it. Doc Holliday's character is like everything I want to be in like a fake real life. Like he's a heavy <laughs> drinker 
All he does is smoke. <laughs> he can stay up for 36 hours and take everyone's money. At the beginning of the movie, when he has, like, that confrontation with, like, Billy Bob Thornton, who's, like, running the poker table after uh, Kurt Russell runs him out, like, he's, and then he, like, goes to fight Johnny Ringo, and he expects it to be Wyatt Earp, and he's like, I'm your Huckleberry, and Johnny Ringo's, like, afraid, and Johnny Ringo's also the guy that fought the Terminator in Terminator 1. And that was also a <laughs> hell of a fight. So, like, the things just keep going. Okay. But it's awesome. And then also, like, there's a scene in the movie where Doc is – they've all they, – they haven't killed Johnny Ringo yet. But they're, like, having these battles in the woods. And they um, – Doc is sick. He's sweating. He's coughing up blood. And yeah. um, one of the guys that's with him is like, Doc, why the hell are you out here? And he goes, well, why? It's my friend. And the guy goes, well, hell, I got a lot of friends. And Doc goes, I don't. And that's just all he said. There's so <laughs> many good lines in that movie where even when Johnny Ringo's like, um, Doc tells him, um, I play for blood. And so when he brings that up to Johnny Ringo in the fight scene, um, he, Johnny Ringo's like, I was just joking about all that playing for blood stuff. And Doc's like, I wasn't. And then – <laughs> he he wins him. You know, he does it for Wyatt because he knows Wyatt can't beat him. And plus, like, he wants to fight Johnny Ringo. Like, that's what he wants. And he's probably one of the baddest movie characters I can think of. Him and then What's-His-Face off Roadhouse. Dalton. Dude, I love trashy movies like that. <laughs> over-the-top Roadhouse. Tombstone's not a trashy movie, but you get into Roadhouse and Over-the-Top, and those are a different level of movie, you know, like Jean-Claude Van Damme Bloodsport, but I love them all, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, listen, Um, let's end this thing. Listen, Mike, man, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on this podcast, man. I've had a blast just talking to you, and I hope people like listen to it. Yeah, it's always a grab bag, right? I mean, I'm very mindful of, you know, what it's like to listen to other people talk on other podcasts. I think you're doing a great job. You keep Thanks. Exciting keep it engaging i mean and who cares what everybody thinks as long as we get those those 80s guys that grew up in that era and uh like the same stuff and, and have remote connections to anything we're talking about it, it's, it's going to be great and i think it'll be well worth it so i'm really just so so thankful that you are welcoming your listeners on and that I got to bat uh, second in the lineup. Like, that is not a bad spot to have. Yeah, sometimes the number two hitter is the best hitter on the team. <laughs> it happens like that sometimes. But, okay. no, I, I wasn't going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just nice to, like, connect with people this way because, like, I think, like, in a digital world, it's so, you know, it's a lot of people don't just, like, pick up the phone and talk to each other. And I think it's connections like this that bring people together that are our age or really any age, you know. And it uh, it means a lot that you're on here. But we've got so much material. We're probably going to have to do this again at some point. Um, but until then, Mike, um, don't hang up. I'll hit pause on this bad boy. But thanks for being on the podcast, man. I'll see you next time. Okay, sounds good. See you next time.